Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Joel Baum. Joel is the Senior Director of Professional Development and Family Services for Gender Spectrum. Gender Spectrum is a San Francisco Bay Area organization that helps to create gender-sensitive and inclusive environments for all children and teens. Hi, Joel. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much for making the time. And we only have a little bit of time together, so I want to jump right into it. Um, You are working on what I consider a really cutting-edge and important kind of um, service for young people and through your organization, Gender Spectrum. And I'd love you to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Gender Spectrum is a nonprofit, uh, a nationally-focused nonprofit that really works to create gender-inclusive environments for all young people, children and teens. Um, What we mean by that are environments where kids uh, have permission to be their full selves when it comes to gender without worrying about being harassed or discriminated in any way. Uh, We do that in a lot of different uh, formats. We do a lot of education and training work in in schools, as well as many other organizations that work with youth and families. We hold a family conference every year, uh, just happened a couple weeks ago, that bring together people literally from all over the world to talk about issues related to gender. We also uh, provide a lot of direct support to families and caregivers through support groups, through consultations, written information. And then I'd say the fourth uh, pillar of that work is really participation in a much larger conversation, if you will, about the nature of gender and what gender is, how it's evolving, um, why that uh, uh, shift is important to all of us, um, and, and sort of just generally working to help all of our institutions think about gender in more complex ways than we have heretofore. Um, I would say th- there's some important principles as well that that uh, inform our work. One um, is that we believe very much you have to meet people where they are. Um, we're not an organization that wants to, uh, you know, pound you over the head with our values and beliefs and, and you know, into submission, um, but rather meet folks where they are when it comes to gender and help them think about it more fully. Um, someone once said it's okay not to know. But once you know, you can't not know. Yeah. And then you have to decide what you want to do about it. And that's that's our philosophy. I'd say the other thing that's super important to us is um, while we get to focus on gender as a concept, as soon as we start talking about an individual child or an individual family or an institution, we have to zoom all the way back out and think about all of the context that 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 uh, exist in that situation. Race, class, uh, religion, region, language are all factors. Mm -hmm. Culture, you know, it's that that intersectional notion that gender is just part of a constellation of identities. And then the third thing, um, our work is not just about certain kids. It's not just about, say, transgender kids or, or gender expansive kids. Our work is about all kids. All young people are impacted by gender and the the very strict norms attached to it. Mm -hmm. And our work is to help every child be focused on their own gender, their ability to define for themselves who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we're trying to get rid of gender. That doesn't mean we don't think gender matters. What it means is that it, in fact, matters a whole heck of a lot. And each of us does gender a little bit differently. And there needs to be room for that. Um, And in, in recognizing that, We'll create create conditions 
in which those that whose gender is perceived to be especially diverse in some way um, will have uh, a greater understanding of their experience. Um, we talk about really it's it's about creating a framework for understanding gender in which anyone's experience, transgender or typically gendered, uh, can fit. Well, you know, this seems like a huge conversation, and um, in some ways I can imagine an uphill battle or, or one that, that's fraught with a lot of emotion and preconceived ideas of what is right. Um, I was just watching a new Netflix um, it's a Danish series called Yurdis, and it takes place in a school. I can send you the link. It's pretty cool. And like um, they're it. putting on a school play, and uh, one of the little boys, he's about six years old, wants to be the princess in the play rather than the prince. And um, we talk about she. the, the show is, is trying to um, educate the audience as through the character of the dad, who's very much against his son being up there. And, and um, I was delighted to see it. I love the way they resolved um, the thing in the episode. And, I'm I'm thinking what you just painted is a, a very idealistic picture, and I am like your number one idealist here on the other side of the bay. I'm I'm thinking, um, how does one begin these kinds of conversations with children in the home about gender? Yeah, that's a great question, Annie. I think the first thing is that we all have to recognize that every one of us has a gender. We all have our own gender story. And becoming aware of the ways in which gender have impacted us, set our children aside for a minute, we just need to recognize some of the different influences gender has had in our life. Maybe we should first define gender. Great. So gender, um, we define gender uh, as consisting of three um, elements. One is your biology, the body you're born with that is... Uh, the, the name that goes on your birth certificate, male or female, is based, of course, in the biology you're born with. We often refer to it as an individual sex. The second aspect of gender we talk about is gender expression, the ways in which we show gender to the world, the ways in which we uh, sort of demonstrate and dress up and in some cases perform our gender, if you will. And the third component is gender identity. And gender identity is that internalized sense of self um, who you know at a core level who you are with regards to this aspect of identity. Now, there's two important points to realize about those three dimensions. First of all, the assumption is that gender is solely based in the body, the body you're born with, and that there's only two possibilities. It's essentially called the binary gender system. And that assumption is wrong in all ways. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, gender is not just about your body. Um, and it's also not, there aren't just two possibilities, even when it comes to bodies. Um, but each one of those uh, dimensions of gender, biology, expression, and identity, each one of those, in fact, are their own spectrum. Um, their own infinite spectrum, where uh, there's a huge range of possibilities and variations, naturally occurring, culturally laden, um, rather than the simple notion of here's what boys are, here's what girls are, we really need to think about each one of us having our own personalized gender, the gender that is defined by by myself, for myself, and communicated to others. I love that idea of each of us can define for ourselves. It, it seems so liberating. It's like well, I get to decide for me what this woman uh, is is in the world. 
Well, I mean, I would ask you to, to imagine sitting down with some, some friends of yours um, and, and asking them if they were all women, all identified as women, to say, so I identify as a woman and you identify as a woman. So tell me what, what makes that, that so. Uh-huh. What does that mean to you? Yeah, yeah. And you would have a lot of answers that were probably similar and maybe quite a few that aren't. Um, and it's that notion of this incredibly core aspect of who we are that we've put into these two really rigid boxes that just don't work. Yeah. The other thing we have to consider is those three dimensions are not only infinite in and among themselves, they actually interact in infinite ways, right? So, for example, um, you can have someone who's born and assigned the sex of a male and they identify and feel like a male, and they dress and act like a lot of the other boys do, right? <laughs> Similarly for someone uh, that identifies as a girl. That might be called someone who's typically gendered. Um, there's, in fact, a word for that. It's called being cisgendered. That's C-I-S gendered, cisgender. And it basically means to be gender typical. But, of course, you can also have someone who's assigned the sex of a girl and she identifies as a girl, but she's perceived to like things that are more typical of boys. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she likes to climb trees and get muddy and dirty and do a lot of That's things. Me. Right. <laughs> and what do we call that person often? Sometimes a tomboy. That, that child's often called a tomboy. And tomboy is a really interesting term if you think about it, because, you know, for most people, certainly today, um, tomboys taken on a real positive uh, connotation. I think people say talk about their tomboys with real pride. I know over the years that's not always been the case, but I want you to consider then another child who's assigned the sex of a boy and feels like a boy, but does things that are perceived to be what girls do. Mm-hmm. Um, say the character in that play. Yeah. We do not have a word like tomboy for this child. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, that child is rarely seen by many of those around them in the positive light yeah. a tomboy would be. And yet the only difference is expression, right? The difference is the expressions that they're choosing. And what we have to re- recognize is that gender expression is not about being a boy or being a girl. Gender expression is about the things that we prefer preferences, things that make us feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. make us feel good, make us feel confident. Um, You know, there are certain clothes and certain um, styles of play that might be more common in one way or another. But one of the first things I would suggest to parents to begin thinking about is how do we get out of this all or nothing thinking rather than saying no boy will ever be a princess saying most of the princesses are girls, but they don't all have to be right. Um, Getting to this sort of some but not all, sometimes but not all the times is really, really critical. Um, And and in doing that, we recognize um, that there's so much flexibility here. And then the last thing, of course, as I said, the only difference between our tomboy and that as yet unnamed boy um, Mm -hmm. is expression. And expression is changing all the time. I mean, I would ask people in the uh, that are watching the podcast today. You know, how many of them uh, knew little boys or men with earrings when they were growing up? Not everyone. And yet we all know someone today, a man today with earrings. And similarly, women and girls with tattoos. A generation ago, there were not that many women with tattoos. Today, we all know women with tattoos. So it is so very much, it's fluid, it's cultural. And um, what what I'm, I'm interested in is that hopefully all children who um, all children have parents who accept them and um, embrace them 
in any way that they are expressing their individuality. But how does a parent, um, I'm going to say scaffold or, or, or prepare a child for what kind of response he or she might get for their individuality outside of the home? Sure. Um, Unfortunately, not all parents do um, necessarily. I know, I know. Support. But let, let's say that you're doing you're right, doing right. everything that you say you should sure, be doing. Sure. Then there's the outside world. Well, the some of the things parents can do, as I said, is first and foremost be comfortable with the notions of what gender is and what it isn't. Okay. The other thing I should add to that definition of gender is you'll notice I said nothing about sexual orientation, being straight or gay right. or bisexual or anything, and that's because sexual orientation and gender are different. Um, gender is about who I am. Sexual orientation is about my attractions to other people. And while there may be a relationship between them, there most certainly is, in fact, they are not one and the same. And so, for instance, the little boy in the play who wanted to be a princess, I would not be surprised if some of the um, mistreatment that he may have faced, either from his father or others, was about being gay. He's Mm going to be gay. Well, playing a princess doesn't make you gay. Playing a princess is gender expression being gay is sec- is sexual orientation, and he's six, right? Can we give mm-hmm. him a minute to figure out those attractions? Yeah. The point is we can't confuse him. So the first thing I would suggest for scaffolding a young person's ability to go out into the world authentically is for that parent to have an understanding of what gender is and to have some awareness of their own gender. The second thing is to then communicate in lots of little ways as early as possible that gender is not binary that there are not just two possibilities. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do a lecture to a four-year-old, but you can certainly, um, as they're talking about gendered things, point out counter-narratives. Mommy, boys don't like, play- don't like cooking, right? Well, actually, I know a lot of men who like to cook. You know, cooking is something that anyone can do, right? Giving them constant messages that are not about boy and girl. It's about each one of us. Um, certain boys don't cook. And certain girls don't cook, and certain ones do. And giving them that language that says, you're getting messages out there that there's one way to do this thing called gender, and I'm here to tell you, kiddo, there's a lot of ways to do That's gender. That's great. So in, in a way, you are giving your child some tools for their toolkit so that when they go out and they're, say, in preschool and are in the fantasy play corner and want to be the chef, and some other kid comes over and says, you're a boy, you can't be cooking, then... Those messages that you've given at home now empower your child to say, well, wait a minute, you know, some boys do cook. Right. That's <laughs> and exactly and that, right. Then your child is then educating other children. That's exactly right. And, and one of the ways that happens um, is by giving them actual language unrelated to gender entirely. Um, I remember when my daughter was in preschool and there were some kids having conflicts about sort of those kinds of things. And the preschool teacher taught all the kids to say this, you may think so, but I don't. There you go. I mean, those are some <laughs> of the most powerful words I've ever heard, quite honestly, because I'm not saying, oh, you're stupid for thinking what you think. Right. I'm not saying, you know, you have to be a cook too if you're a boy. I'm saying, okay, you may think that, but that's not true for me. Yeah, and that's so really one of the the best strategies I've ever heard. Um, that's good. And unrelated to gender, but certainly when it comes to mo- many of the stereotypes, that is a great way to respond. Yeah. You may think so, but I don't. But because I don't. one of the important things that gender spectrum really tries to emphasize in our gender is about all of us kind of uh, schema 
is it is about all of us. And if someone is typically gendered and someone does happen to fit into the more kind of cisgendered uh, uh, profile, if you will, um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. You know, hooray for you. It just means <laughs> it's not the only way to be. Um, it needs to be okay for a boy who loves football and rough and tumble stuff. Um, but it also needs to be okay for that for a boy not to be. Yeah. Um, this is not about restricting the definitions. It's about expanding the I definitions. I love this. This is great. And isn't that what education is about? Expanding our points of view. That's right. Um, let's move into the classroom because we only have a little bit of time sure. here. And what kind of... Um, <sighs> strategies, um, approaches can schools Im- implement to do a better job. There is so much um, sexist kind of attitudes on all levels and homophobia and, and a fear of difference in schools that make life miserable for a lot of kids. And, and from my perspective, Joel, I think it also is not doing um, the aggressive kids any favors either because sure. they're developing in in ways that they really um, might later regret. Um, yep. And so what what are your recommendations for what schools could be doing? Um, let's talk about middle schools. Sure. So in the spirit of truth in advertising, um, and I'm glad you picked middle school, my background's as an educator. I was a middle school science teacher for many years. I moved into some administrative roles. I was a site principal. I worked at the district level as an administrator. I've actually even been a professor of educational leadership for, for more than a decade at one of the local universities. Um, so I have a bias. Um, that favors the notion that educators um, can be effective, can be efficacious, they can uh, and do care about their kids and want to be successful. I also recognize educators are really overburdened. Um, When we do trainings with schools, one of the first things I say is, who's looking for more to do? Who's looking for more to teach? (laughs) More on your plate. (laughs) And you can imagine there are not a lot of hands going up. And that's exactly right. What schools can do is rather thinking about one huge, you know, moment in time, some sort of, you know, kumbaya moment, um, is to think about lots of little ways that they can share those messages that I just talked about. What we call it becoming a gender-inclusive school, and gender-inclusive schools do a number of things. They, first of all, interrupt binaries. Binaries in general, and in particular, binaries related to gender. Um, one of the greatest skills we can help kids uh, 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 undertake, uh, a gain, I should say, is the ability to look at the gray, right? The ability to say, well, let's actually tease that apart a little bit because things are rarely black and white. Mm-hmm. That's about perspective taking, and it's one of the most important skills we give students. And middle, Other- school, middle schools are very good at that. Sometimes, sometimes they, they I are. Think, I think they enjoy the intellectual challenge the if, you, if you present it in a way that's safe. Yeah. What I can say is those kids are ready for it. So are the younger children. Yeah. Um, but what, what middle schools in particular can do is think about the different aspects of the school's operation. Um, we call them entry points and look at the degree to which they are or are not and uh, gender inclusive. The first entry point we talk about is the personal entry point. What that means is, as I said at the beginning, thinking about gender as a concept, unrelated to your practice as an educator, simply, what is gender? How do you think about gender? How has gender impacted who you are in the world? And the way uh, you teach. Well, not yet, actually. We'll okay. get there in a second. Okay, first, I'm a teacher think, too. <laughs> first, just think about gender, because when we share that model, that multidimensional model 
of gender, which, by the way, is just a model, right? It's only one. There's others. But we found it to be incredibly effective for helping people stop and realize, wow, that is just a completely different way to think about this notion of gender. And if I internalize that, then there's some things I probably need to think about doing differently. Um, and we have the feedback we get is incredibly positive. The data is, you know, 98% of the educators we uh, work with in these basic foundational trainings report that they both feel much more uh, clear about what gender is and more um, uh, uh, intent on making changes in their practice. Right. That's great. Once we've done that sort of personal level, we then say, now let's talk about your practice. And those are the three other entry points. There's the basically institutional entry point, which is all the different ways that schools, without ever saying a thing, either endorse or inhibit a gender-inclusive climate. It's everything from visuals on the walls that might say things like all genders welcome or think outside the boxes, you know, with images of binaries being broken. It's things like forms that allow a parent to be able to put something more than just boy or girl Some of these are very low-hanging fruit that schools can do, again, that create no problems for anyone and create a huge win for everyone. Not only the gender expansive or transgender child, but all the children. Because when a parent comes in and sees a form that says something besides just boy or girl, they're going to be apt to ask, why is the school doing that? And the school can then say, well, it's because we're trying to be more gender inclusive and we recognize that not everyone fits this pattern. Boom. Go mm-hmm. ahead and fill out the form. The second entry point um, around practice then is our interpersonal entry point. And this is the way that we use our, our, our interactions with one another um, to, again, convey this more uh, open and affirming notion of gender diversity. It means, you know, when you hear kids saying all boys do this or no girls do that, you call them on it, not yeah. in an inappropriate way, but right. in an inquiry-based way. Gee, that's really interesting, Annie, what that you said you that. that. <laughs> what makes you think that? Exactly. And then the third entry point, as I know we get to the end of our time here, um, is instructionally. And there are a growing body of lesson plans, activities, and other resources to support teachers within their classrooms, both explicitly through lessons you know, directly about gender, as well as much more implicitly to integrate notions of gender into the curriculum and work they're already doing. Um, I could spend, I mean, we do spend days, you know, doing trainings with schools and districts, et cetera, um, about those notions and how to do each one of those uh, entry points and to think about them differently. Wow. You're doing really important work, Joel, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of the work you're doing and the time that you've spent with us today. Um, before we leave, can you please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find out more about what you do? Great. Thank you. Yeah, please look us up at uh, uh, genderspectrum.org. Um, you'll find our website is chock-a-block full of resources, including, you know, foundational information as well as many tools and other resources that you can use both with your own children, with your schools, with your medical providers, with a whole range of, of uh, uh, professionals and others with whom you and your child will be interacting. That's great. Very, very helpful. Thanks again, Joel. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Annie. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with parents, tweens, and teens, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. 
and my latest book for tween girls, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And if you like this podcast, we ask that you review it on iTunes. It may be a little thing to you, but it means an awful lot to us. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Dr. Laura Markham. Dr. Markham is a trained clinical psychologist, the founding editor of AhaParenting.com, and the author of the book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting. Until next time, happy parenting.